0: the following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Well, this morning, um, let me pray, and then we'll continue with our series that we've been looking at on serving. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, as we come around it, We just ask for your Holy Spirit to open our hearts to receive all that you have for us. Father, I pray that you'll give us ears to hear and hearts to yield to your word, to your will. And Lord, give us the strength and the grace that we need to not just be hearers, but to be doers of your word. And so we, Lord, still our hearts in this moment, and we invite you. Jesus, come have your way. Help me, Lord, to faithfully bring your word. And for us, Lord, to receive all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, we're continuing our series, and it's going to be part two of uh, the message that I started last week where we're looking at... um, the. the heart attitudes behind our serving. Our our series is called A Healthy Serving, and last week we began this series by looking at some unhealthy attitudes that can drive our serving. And we talked about unhealthy attitudes about God, really. And we talked about how we can be caught up into serving to try and get God's approval, um, to get His forgiveness and His righteousness. Uh, We talked about how we might serve to get something, get God's blessings, God's good gifts by by, uh, kind of uh, doing stuff to, to make him owe us. and We talked about how we could also serve to try and pay back this incredible debt that we feel that we carry because of all that Jesus has done for us. And we, we talked about how that's, that's a never-ending black hole because we can never pay back God for saving us. And yet we try with our serving and our good deeds to try and somehow you know, contribute to to God's salvation. And we talked about how, you know, all of those things in one uh, one shape or form spring from a wrong understanding of who God is. It springs from a wrong understanding of God's generous heart, of who God is as our Father and all that He's done for us in Jesus and how all of those things that we're desperately seeking for, we already have because Jesus has done it for us. We have God's approval in Christ. We have God's greatest gift and all of His spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1 says. You know, we we don't have to try and pay back God because the debt has been paid by Jesus. And how the gospel corrects those wrong views about God. We talked about how if we kind of serve this way, we end up feeling exhausted. We end up feeling, you know, uh, angry at God because He doesn't give us the things that we think that we deserve. And we, 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 we talked about different feelings that can arise in us that bring us really into bondage and despair because we're trying to do more and more and more. And we have this deep sense in our heart that it'll never be enough. And that's true it'll never be enough and so we find ourselves crippled and crushed by this weight and this burden and our serving feels like a drudgery and a heavy load that we carry rather than the joy and delight that it ought to be we talked about Jesus promise in in Matthew 11 you know that he, he's come to take those heavy burdens of trying to to do things to earn God's favor from us. And, and he instead wants to bring rest for our souls. And I wanna just clarify that. I wanna make sure you understand that serving in a healthy way doesn't mean you won't get tired. Because you know, you read that promise and you go, oh man, I just I wanna serve in this amazing Christian way and I will never feel exhausted, I'll never feel tired. No, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. Notice what he says rest for your soul. It's to free us from serving in a way that tries to earn God's salvation. That's what Jesus is here to free us from. But when we serve, when we're serving at carols, man, the next day you're going to be smashed. That's not what Jesus is promising won't happen. But when you serve and you're tired, you're not serving in a sense of trying to earn something from God, which you can never do, just so we understand that. So this week... I want to speak about, you know, our our attitude towards people, towards others um, and ourselves that can lead us into unhealthy ways of serving. Um, And in some ways, this is going to be a lot of personal confession here. And so, you know, I hope you will indulge me in that because I've struggled with all of these things and I continue to struggle with all of these things. And I say that because, like I said last week, I, I don't want you to walk away with a sense of shame or condemnation, or feel, you know, kind of guilt-ridden, or any of that. I'm not interested. What I really want is for us to bring our hearts before the Holy Spirit, and say, Holy Spirit, will you search my heart? And will you convict me of these unhealthy attitudes and behaviors in my heart? Because I don't want to be bound by these things. I want to be free, and I want to serve out of a generous heart, a heart of love. That's what I want for us. So I'm sharing from my own struggles and stories so that you can go, okay, well, if he's got a problem with this, then it's okay for me to have a problem with this. And I hope it, it actually does do that. But the first unhealthy view of others that can kind of cripple our serving is if we serve to try and impress people. Try and impress people. And again, like I said to you, I'm confessing this. Uh, approval is a, is a big idol for me, and I've wrestled with this for a long, long time. And I'm continuing to wrestle with this. And Jesus speaks to this in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. That's, he's saying, don't do your stuff to impress other people. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets and say, look at me, Kimmy, look at me. As the hypocrites do, this is what the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, think about that. Jesus is not saying literally, okay? You know, don't let you. No, he's saying don't make it about you. So that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what he's done in secret will reward you. You know, when our kids were little, I don't know, parents with the, your kids did this. They'd fall over and, and, you know, no reaction. But then they'll turn around to see if anybody's looking. And if the parent was looking, they start crying. So your kids used to do that too? Yeah. This is what sometimes we do when we serve, right? We're serving and then we kind of, is anyone looking? And like I said, look, this is me too. Like so many times, you know, when I'm in my office, I'm going, God, if only people could see how much I pray for them. How much, I'm, how much time I spend studying your word so I can preach faith. If only they knew God, they would just think, what an amazing pastor we have. Uh, it's, not, it's, it's no word of lie. I'm telling you, these thoughts go through my head. And I'm ashamed to admit it to you, but it's true. To impress other people, and you know, like when I go to conferences and stuff, and people say, "Oh, Hillary, yeah, we've heard of you." I'm going, "Oh, you've heard of me? <laughs> wow! Like that's wow. You, wow, Okay. Well, look, we, we, Jesus knows our heart. You know, but the problem when we serve this way is that it really leads to insecurity because. Our, our, we, we've given power to other people to tell us how good we are. We, we've given our sense of self-worth and value to other people to determine. And so our sense of well-being and how good we feel about ourselves will be up and down continually, and it will change with compliments or criticism. And it's just constantly, like the tide just goes up and down, up and down. Today I had a good day because three people told me I preached a great sermon. Next week, nobody said anything. I think, oh man, I'm a loser. It's just, because we've abdicated this power that really only our creator ought to have to other people. To other people. And see, what, what we tend to do is, you know and so that's one issue where we're constantly insecure we're constantly looking we and again i want to be clear this is a tension because it's it's nice to be acknowledged when you do something. When somebody is blessed by something, to be encouraged. Now, I don't want a church where we don't encourage anyone lest we're feeding into their impression stuff. No, I think there's a good and healthy and right place to acknowledge when people serve us and when people bless us to say thank you and, and just courtesy and to say, hey, you did a great job when somebody gets up and does a communion and it's their first time to encourage them. There's great power in that. The problem is when we seek after that. And it's not enough when we we want them to be impressed with us. It's not that I I don't need encouragement, it's when I need to be, you know, I want you to be impressed with me. So it leads to insecurity. And the other problem is it leads to inevitably competition. Competition, right? Because if somebody's better than me, we feel threatened. And we feel like, oh man, I'm just hopeless. I'm a loser. That guy is so awesome. And again, I do this, you know, like at conferences when somebody's preaching and they're amazing. I go, oh, yeah, if I was doing that, I wouldn't have used that passage. You know, I would have done this. I would have done that. I I think I could have done a better job. I was doing this the other day. We went to Sculptures by the Sea. And I'm looking at some of this stuff and go, I could have done better than that. What is that? I mean, I'm sure it's not just me. I'm sure you sat there, somebody doing communion and go, I could have done better than that. Or it leads us to pride, and we gloat and go, "Man, they suck. They're just so terrible. I'm so good. I'm amazing compared to that guy." And we, we know this because we we do this all the time. Like when we're in these situations, we tend to minimize our own faults and our limitations, and we make excuses why we aren't better. And we go, oh, "If I had more time, i, I I'd, I'd preach an amazing sermon." We, we do that. We kind of excuse our shortcomings and our limitations. But when it's somebody else is really good, we, we highlight their their weaknesses. We we elevate their, their shortcomings. Go, oh look you know, like he stutters every second word, you know, it's like Wah. and he might have done it like one time in the whole of his sermon. <laughs> but it's that competition, you know, and Aussies are renowned for this. We even have a saying for it, tall poppy syndrome. We like to cut people down when you want to impress, when you're driven by this, that's what comes out of your heart. And Jesus, what does Jesus say here? He says to them, if that's what you want, you'll get it. You'll get it. You will get your honor from others, but that's all you'll get. That's all you'll get. You'll get nothing from your heavenly Father. So then the question is, who do you want to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant? You can only choose out of two, others or your heavenly Father. You can't have both. That's what Jesus is saying here as I read it in the passage. So choose carefully. And in this message, I want to ask you some challenging reflection questions. And here's the first one on this point. Would you do this thing, whatever this thing is that you do, if nobody other than you and God would ever know you did it, would you do it? Would you do it? Whatever it is, if nobody, and for some of you, that's going to be a hard question to answer because the stuff you do might be up here and everybody knows that you're doing it. Think about it. Think about it. Serving to impress. Guilty as charged. The second one is serving. I've called this to level up. To level up or to belong is another way of thinking about it. And we see this in Acts chapter 8 with Simon the sorcerer. And you'd be familiar with this account where the gospel has gone to Samaria and God is moving in powerful ways. The apostles come down and pray for these and new Christians and they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they're speaking in tongues and you know all kinds of things. And this guy, Simon, he sees that the Spirit is given by the laying on of hands in verse 18 of chapter 8. He says, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Listen to Peter's answer. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness." And captive to sin. They're strong, strong words. What do I mean by this? It's using our serving as leverage to go to the next level. See, because maybe we have this idea, like Simon did, that there's the cool kids. The apostles, in this instance, were the cool kids. They're the ones that the movers and the shakers, good things are happening. They're like, they're the in crowd. They're the power group. They're the elite. They're, they're the, like the VIPs. That's why I put that picture up there. They're the ones that get to go into the room when it happens. Hamilton reference there. You know, they're the ones that, you know, we had this idea that there's a group that are the, the elite, the, the power brokers, the influencers, the, the real key people in the church. And if I serve really well and faithfully and diligently I'll get to level up and maybe one day somebody will welcome me into the inner rooms and I'll be one of the VIPs I had this strange experience a few conferences ago when one of my good friend that some of you know that preaches here Ken Fisher he's on the state executive and he you know had they have reserve seating up the front for them And he said, look, I've got a spare seat. Do you want to come up and sit with me? And I'm like, yes, (laughs) I do. And as I was walking down the aisle, I was like, yeah, you don't know me. That's okay. I don't mind. But I get to sit in the VIP section. it's leveling up, using our serving to leverage, to get ahead. It's a career pathway, and again, it's attention, attention, right? Because Jesus said a lot of stuff that you kind of go, "Hang on, I'm thinking of all these verses that come to mind." Like, you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be the servant, right? To so go, oh, okay, that's the career pathway. Okay, I get it. In the kingdom, okay. If you want to be first, be the slave of all. Okay, I can, I can be the slave of all as long as. I get to be first at some point. But I think that's a misreading of those verses. But we do that. We, we think, man, if I just clean toilets long enough, one day I'll get to preach. One day. Because somebody will notice my faithfulness to do the hard stuff. And they'll elevate me. They'll promote me one day. But when you look at the, the kingdom idea that Jesus talks about, the problem is that we've misunderstood greatness in, in, in Mark chapter 10, where Jesus is talking about his own example of laying down his life because he didn't come to be served, but to serve, you know that passage? He says, the Gentiles, they're the ones that have this idea of being an elite power group. They're the ones that lord it over people. But he says, not so with you. Greatness in the kingdom is that you get to die first. Because Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to lay down my life as a ransom. Jesus used language like in Matthew 18, that greatness is like becoming like a child. The least powerful in his day. There's no VIP club. There's no elitism in the kingdom of God. It doesn't exist. It's, we get to be like John the Baptist who said, I must decrease that Jesus might increase. That's greatness in the kingdom of God. Or I get to be like Paul who says, I will celebrate and rejoice in my brokenness and my weakness. Why? Because the glory of Christ will be even more magnified by my incompetence or my whatever. It's, it's not following the way of the world. In the kingdom, serving is not a career pathway. It doesn't level you up. Well, it does, but maybe not in the way that you seek to level up. So my probing question for you, your, the reflection question is this. Would you do this thing if you knew that it would not lead to anything more than glory to Jesus? Would you keep cleaning toilets, emptying the bins, coming in early, turning the air all the things that nobody would know that you do? Would you keep doing that if it led to nothing more other than Jesus? Nobody would know this, but it doesn't matter. You get the glory. Would you do it? Would you do it if nobody ever opened a door and ushered you into a VIP seat? Would you do it if you got no other opportunity other than the opportunity to love Jesus in what you're doing? Would you do it? Third one. The first two are wrong attitudes about others. These last two are wrong attitudes about ourselves. This this one, the first of the two, is serving because we think Jesus needs us. And this is best displayed in the story of Martha. And I know like, every time Martha's mentioned, everybody goes, oh, poor Martha, just gets such a hard rap. But her story is, is so instructive. She's an amazing woman. I wonder how Martha thought of Jesus in that moment, right? They have just go, come on, Jesus, really? I'm trying to help you out here. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and will not be taken from her. See, the thing is, God has called us to partner with him in building his kingdom. You know, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul uses language like we're co-workers, we're, we're working a lot. Sort of. The problem is not that Martha is doing stuff. The problem is not that Martha is serving him. The problem is that I think Martha thought that if she didn't do it, everything would fall apart. But let me ask you this question. If Martha didn't prepare food for Jesus and his friends, do you think that Jesus would have been able to whip something up? Yeah, I think so. I think he's done that a few times for a lot more people than this. All right? But we forget who we're dealing with. We're dealing with the creator of the universe. But somehow we've got it into our heads that no, 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 no. He, he needs me. I am indispensable. If I don't do this thing, whatever this thing is, everything will fall apart. The whole kingdom will come undone. It's just, it's just going to be bad, bad for everyone. Indispensable. You see, serving diligently and working hard like Martha is not an issue, it's not a problem, and there, there are those among us who do like Martha, who are incredible and gifted, capable, and we love them, and they're such a blessing to our church. You, if you're like a Martha, you're a blessing to our church, and you know, these people are so aware of the needs of people around them, people with the, the gifts of helps and mercy are, are like Marthas, who just, they see a need and they feel it. They don't wait to be asked, right? they just kind of go, okay, I'm there. I'll do it. And like when we do volunteer calls, we always have to talk, speak to the Martha saying, "We're not asking you to sign up because you're already doing enough." That's not the issue. The issue is when we are so aware of the needs of people, of those around us, that we forget our need for Jesus. See, that's the thing that Jesus rebuked Martha for, not that she was doing serving or work, that she was just so distracted by all the things. She, because see, people like this are so aware of all the needs around them, and they just feel so compelled. They're like, but if I don't do it, and they walk away from Jesus, or they leave the church, and I could have done something, then I, I feel that responsibility, and I feel that weight. But sometimes we're so aware of the needs of others that we don't realize our need for Jesus. We're so worried about, you know, that Jesus needs our works, that we don't stop to think that we need His words. If we're so busy meeting the needs of people around us that we don't have time to be with Jesus, we've we've gone into this place where we think, Jesus needs me. If I don't make that meal, if I don't go and visit that person, if I don't send that message, if I don't email, if I don't do whatever the blank is, then everything's going to fall apart. Jesus needs me because He can't do it on His own. I know we wouldn't ever say it like that, right? Because the moment you say it out loud, you go, how stupid am I? But we live it in so many ways. I live this in so many ways. If I don't. But let me ask you this really honestly, openly. Do you really believe that if you don't do whatever it is you do, that the kingdom will not advance? That Jesus can't save people, that he can't build his church, that he can't care for people, that he can't, he might not sit with someone and have a coffee with them like you would be able to do, absolutely. And he might not be able to comfort them by you sending a greeting card when they've lost a loved one, absolutely. But does that mean he can't comfort them? Does that mean he can't minister love to them because you didn't have a coffee with that person? Do you really believe that? Sometimes I act like I do believe that. And Jesus would challenge us to remember that there is only one mediator between God and man. And that is Jesus Christ, not me, not you. Jesus He's the Savior. He's the author. He's the creator. He's the builder of the church. He is the sum total of everything. And yes, we get to be a part of that. And yes, He uses us. And yes, He invites us to be a part of this incredible work of building the kingdom of God. But never at the expense of your faith or your rest or your joy. Jesus does not need you that way. He does not depend on you that way. We depend on Him. So the question The reflection question is, what would happen if I stopped doing what I'm doing? That's a great question. I've been sitting with that all week as I've been thinking about What would happen if I just kind of went, I'm not going to preach? Would the church fall apart? I know my elders would freak out. But would the church fall apart? No. Not at all. Because Jesus will build his church with or without me. I'm not indispensable, and neither are you. Last one. This is kind of the opposite one. This is serving, but I don't need Jesus. I don't need Jesus. And this is particularly a challenge for those who are good at what they do, who've been doing it for a long time, who are experienced, who are skilled, who are gifted, who are charismatic, who are capable people, you know, and this story in, in Mark chapter 9, um, where Jesus comes down and there's this demon-possessed uh, boy and the, and the father asks the disciples to cast out the demon and, the, and they can't. And, and when they, the disciples are with Jesus privately, in verse 28, they, they ask Jesus about it and they go, why couldn't we do it? After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this Can come out only by prayer, and in some versions, it says prayer and fasting. That speaks to dependence on God. So often, we serve Jesus, but we leave Jesus out. Go, Jesus, you you can sit this one out. I got this, I I can handle it. Thanks, but yeah, don't just you relax, you just take a moment. I've I've got this, and maybe the disciples, because in, in Luke's account this story comes after Jesus has sent them out and given them authority to heal the sick and to cast out demons. Maybe I wonder if like me, they've thought, I've done this before. Jesus has given me the authority before. I've seen demons go before. I've I've been here, done that, bought the t-shirt. I don't need, I can handle this. I got this. You know, when you've been doing preaching or worship leading or serving or youth or whatever it is, and you've got years of experience and your resume is impressive, it's easy to go, And we don't rely on the anointing and the empowering and the presence of Jesus to, to drive our serving. We serve, but we don't need Jesus. That's a scary place to be. And you know, in, in many re- much research that's been done, particularly in America in, in, with George Barna, this, the statistics of how little pastors pray is staggering. Staggering. Even at the GLS, Craig Groeschel, who's a very respected pastor and leader, he says, you know what? I pray more in public than I do privately. And he said, "Uh, that's got to change because that's serving without Jesus. So my question for you to reflect on as we kind of wrap up with this one is does my prayer life reflect my dependence on Jesus in my serving? think about that for a moment. Does my prayer life, and again, you might be sitting there thinking, but you know, I, I do, com- I just hand out communion emblems, or I set up morning to right? do, do, do I need to pray about that? Absolutely. There's no ranking here, like the pastor, he's preaching, he should be praying five hours. But, you know, people on the service team, we, three minutes is fine. That's all we need to do. No. We, we ought to value everything we do the same way. Jesus, I need you to help me to serve well, to serve healthily, to serve for your glory, to serve to edify my brothers and sisters, to serve to be a blessing no matter what I do. I need your anointing. I need your presence. I need your enabling. I am totally dependent on on you because it's not just how much energy or skill or ability you need to do the physical act it's more about guarding your heart and making sure it's flowing out of a healthy heart that's what more probably what you need Jesus for so last week we identified that the common theme and the common feature with with all of those unhealthy attitudes was that we were questioning God's love you know does he really love me and we work and we strive because we're not convinced that He loves us. And we're trying to earn His love and earn His favor. This week, what's common is that we, we've put somebody else into Jesus' place of authority. Whether that's other people to tell us how good we are, how significant we are. Or whether that's ourselves because we think, I can do this, I don't need Jesus. Or Jesus needs me because I'm the answer, I'm the Savior. No matter what, it's, it's a just, we've just taken Jesus off his rightful place of authority and reign and rule and throne, and we've put somebody else or ourselves up there. And so our response ought to be one of humbling ourselves today and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've thought more of myself than I ought. I'm sorry if I've made serving about me again. I'm sorry if I'm trying to use my serving to advance my church career by not realizing that being honored by you is the greatest reward I could ever have and so this morning as I finish I want you to bow your heads and I want you to close your eyes as I want to read to you from Colossians chapter 1 to remind you of who Jesus is to get you to fix your eyes back on him and put him back on the throne of your heart where He rightfully belongs. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Just take a moment to let those words speak into your heart. And in this moment of stillness, I want you to imagine taking off the burdens maybe that have been driving your serving. Whether it's at church, in your home, wherever you might be, where there's been this weight and this heaviness in your heart. And I want you to imagine taking it off and handing it over to Jesus. The all-sufficient one. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the supreme one. The author of life. And hear again his promise. Come to me. If you've been crippled and crushed and weary and burdened by trying to live up to other people's expectations of you to get your approval from them, your self-worth from them. Come to me. Come to me. Look look at the cross. Look at where I've shed my blood for you. That's how much I value you, how much I love you. Hear him speaking those words to you, that you might know that you are approved in him. That you are seated with Him. It's the highest VIP seat that you will ever get. Seated with Him in heavenly places. It's the gospel that is your hope. It is the gospel that will reorient your heart. It is the gospel that will transform those broken, hurting places. It's the gospel that will bring redemption and and forgiveness and restoration to those sinful places. It is the gospel that will give you hope that God can use a broken vessel like you, like me. And so, Father, we come before you as broken vessels, as earthen jars of clay that you have put your treasure in. And sometimes, though, we try so hard to draw attention to the jar of clay, but really help us to see the treasure within that you've given us, your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray for us as a church. I pray for myself, Lord, that you'll help us to walk humbly before you. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to take down everyone that we've put on the throne of Jesus, including ourselves. And Lord, that we would serve him out of love, devotion, delight, surrender. Lord, that we will trust him to do his good work and count it a privilege that he invites us to be a part of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.